morning, church. Whether you are in the room or if you're online or great room, we want to say welcome and good morning. Uh, I love that with technology, we can still gather, um, even if people are in their homes or across the hall in the great room, kind of spreading out a little bit more. I think it's a great thing. Uh, I want to begin this morning with a reflection on um, this idea of rules and instructions and guidelines. And, and a little bit about why these matter, and not, not just what they are, but the impact they have on their life. And a little bit I want us to think about what rules, instructions, guidelines, what are, what are we living according to? What do those look like? So l- let me flesh this out a little bit. Uh, rules, why do, why do they matter? Have you ever been to a, a little kid's soccer game? I'm talking like four, five, six, where they're first learning. I'm going to use the term soccer loosely. Um, I have these memories of being at my little brother's soccer games when he was uh, just learning to play. And it was something between like soccer, rugby, and football. And what it was is like wherever the soccer ball was, it was just, I mean, a gaggle of kids. Like, I don't even know if that's a word, but you know what I mean? Like just everyone's grouped around the ball and there's tackling. It's not, not a slide tackle like it should be. It's like they're running into each other. I mean, they're just trying to get the ball and they don't even know which goal it's supposed to get in. As long as it gets in a goal, they feel like they've achieved something. And, and it's like organized chaos, right? Now, if, if you had an, an adult soccer game where that was the same thing, it would just be anarchy, right? It wouldn't even be any fun because the rules give a pattern for how the game should function, right? Or, or think about instructions. When you get instructions for something, instructions sort of describe the big picture of what something should look like, how it should go together, how it should function. And, and so uh, for us as a family, we we don't buy like high quality furniture because our kids just destroy things anyway. So we buy a lot of the, the press board furniture that you have to put together. And a lot of that comes from this store that you've heard me talk about before called Ikea. And I, I think their instructions are written in Greek or Hebrew, if, if there's words at all. And so half the time I end up going, I can do better than this. And I throw the instructions away and, and I get whatever it is sort of put together. And my kids are just old enough where they ask these great questions like, Dad, is it supposed to lean that direction? Or are you supposed to have extra pieces left over? And to that I say, listen, scripture tells you to honor your mother and father. So, right, just let me be, right? Dad needs a moment after putting this thing together. But I think I know better, so I don't need the instructions. And it never quite comes together, right? Because I didn't think I needed that. Right? Or, or think about guidelines. Like you, you buy a car and it comes with a manual that's a guideline for how it should be maintained. So like for me in high school, It was super cool, so I drove a Saturn SL1, which was a car made of mostly plastic, which didn't dent, so it was super cool. Uh, And I I noticed one day that the coolant engine light, or the engine coolant light was on. I was like, huh, I wonder how long that's been on, right? And and I quickly found out it had been on longer than I realized because the, the engine way overheated, like massive damage, and suddenly I didn't have a car anymore, right? Because I didn't follow the guidelines for how this thing should be maintained, And the thing is, rules, guidelines, and instructions, they give a framework for how something should function. And and we're not really free to just say, I'm going to do what I want. And and so I I want us to wrestle with this question today. Why can I not make up my own rules for my life? Right? That's our big question I want us to wrestle with. Now, you apply it to any one of those scenarios. You show up to a soccer game and say, I'm going to make up my own rules. You're not going to be able to play because it's not going to work out. Right? If, if I build something not according to the instructions, oftentimes it's lopsided or not quite fitting together. Why? Because I haven't put it together in the way that it was designed. When you don't follow the guidelines for how a car should be maintained, there's going to be issues, right? 
And yet we get to the big picture of our life and we say, uh, why, why can't I just decide how I want to live my own life? And, and right now in particular, we live in a culture that says, you know what? You, you live your own truth. I can think of a few things that are more dangerous than that reality, right? If there is an objective truth, which I believe that there is, and I believe it's found in the word of God, and I believe that his word is a guideline, a pattern, the the, the standard according to which we should live, his truth. If that's true, then I am not free to just make up whatever rules I want for my own life. And yet I often find what Pastor Kevin Myers in his book, Grown Up Faith, describes to be true. He describes sort of three ways that we attempt to do life. And I think there's a lot of truth to this. The the first way that he describes is a lot of people live life this way. It's my life, my rules. And so a person says, you know what? I I don't really, God maybe exists. I'm not sure, but I'm just going to live as if he doesn't. I'm going to do my life, my way. It's mine to do what I want with. And and I call this uh, way of living uh, rebel and reject. This is a person who rebels against God's truth and rejects God's presence. This is a person who says, I'm just going to do it my own way. I'll figure it out as I go. I will choose my own rules. And and listen, I, I will tell you this. Yes, you are free to make up your own rules for your life. But here's the reality. You are not free from the consequences of making up your own rules right? And so I see a lot of people say, I'm going to choose to do it my own way, which you can do. And and many times as a pastor, I have the opportunity years later to sit on the other side of a table from them and have a conversation about why their life is so broken. And I come back to this, listen, there's truth and there's a way that God has defined and described for us to live and it's for our flourishing and well-being. It's it's so we can experience the fullness of life in him. Now, the second way, and and this is uh, another common one that I see, is this idea that it's God's life, but I'm still going to live by my rules. And so this is a person who, they they might acknowledge that God exists, that God is real, um, that maybe even they believe in him, but when it comes down to surrendering and submitting their life to God's plan and God's purpose for them, when it comes down to submitting to God's truth, they go, uh, I think I'm still going to do it my own way. And I think what happens here is we try to rewrite God's truth and we try to rationalize our behavior. And so we we think I'm free to choose how I want to live. And so we rationalize things that we know according to God's truth are wrong. But we go through these great mental gymnastics in 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 our mind and heart to think about why we can rationalize the way that we're living. But finally, I think the way that we're called to live is this idea that my life is God's life and I need to live according to God's rules. Right? And by rules, I don't mean this like stringent way of living. What I mean is God's guideline, God's pattern, the truth of God's word that describes the framework for how we're to do life in relationship with him. And I, I call this idea simply holy obedience. That God calls us to be holy, to be set apart in relationship with him and to be obedient in the way that we do life. Now, think about it this way. Suppose that you bought a house and the person who built it said, nah, I didn't really think about the building codes much. I just put it together. It'll be fine. And then you take ownership of this house and you spend years going, ah, you know what? I don't really know how to maintain it. So I'm just going to kind of do whatever and just kind of let things go. And then you go to sell it and, and your house might look something like this. If you want to put this picture up, a little bit of a fixer upper here. Maybe. Ah, there we go. What a, what a beauty. I'll cut you a deal right? It needs a little bit of interior finishing work, right? You look at this and you go, man, that thing is a disaster. Now, now what I see as a pastor is oftentimes people choose to do life their own way and they experience this brokenness and they experience a life that's falling apart. This sort of resembles the condition this house is in. 
And the problem is they wait for years doing what they want to do, living life how they want to, leading to a place of brokenness. And it gets to this, this point where it's like, I mean, this house is so far gone. It's like, we, we got to tear it down and start over. And what, what I want to suggest to you is, listen, don't wait until your life looks like this house that's broken down and decrepit because somebody just chose to like do whatever with it. I, I want to suggest to you, the sooner that you turn your life around and respond to God's grace and his divine invitation to relationship with him, the sooner you can experience the hope and the restoration that only God can bring. And yet too often I have conversations where people have lived for years choosing their own rules, choosing their own path, choosing their own truth, and it leads to this place of brokenness and darkness and oppression that sin brings, and, and then their life is in broken shambles, and they're, they're saying, Pastor, help me turn this around. And listen, I believe that there's no situation beyond God's ability to redeem. I fully believe that. But I think you can save yourself years of heartache and and brokenness by responding to God's invitation to live according to his truth in your life. One of the things that you hear us talk about at Grace Point frequently is our mission to help people encounter grace, grow in grace, and become grace givers. And it all begins with that encounter moment, that there is a real and living God who is calling out to you, who is inviting you into relationship with him. And the sooner we respond to God's invitation to pour our life into him, to live according to his truth, the sooner we experience the blessing that obedience brings. And so this morning, what I want to do for us is I want to look at the story of Moses. And I want to look at Moses wrestling to respond to, to God's divine interruption and invitation in his life as we look at how we might respond to God's invitation in our life to live according to his plan and his purpose. And so with that, we turn to Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now at this time in the history of the people of Israel, the nation of Israel has been conquered by Egypt and they are in captivity in Egypt and the Pharaoh is enslaving the people of Israel and is forcing them to build uh, his cities. And so the, the people of Israel are in a deep place of suffering. And it's in that moment in history that God appears to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angels of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now what I think is so interesting about this this moment in the story is, did you notice how Moses was just going about his day? It says in verse 1 that now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. And so you can imagine that Moses approached this day, maybe like any other day, he got up, got around and got the flock out and he was going to take them out to pasture. And it says he leads them across the wilderness to to the far side uh, by Mount Horeb, uh, the Mount of God. 
And maybe he led them over there because he was trying to find some fresh grass to, to graze the sheep. And he's, he's just doing what he's always done. And right in the middle of his routine, the living God interrupts his life. And Moses sees this bush that's on fire and yet it's not consumed. It's just ever burning. And Moses is, thinks to himself, what is this? He says, all right, let's go over and see. And he approaches this bush and God calls to Moses and he says, Moses, Moses. And I love Moses' response. He says, here I am. There's sort of an openness and an availability of Moses responding. Yes, here I am. God, what do you want? Here I am. I'm open and receptive before you. And so I want us to wrestle with this question. When God brings a divine interruption into your life, by that I mean when God does something in your life, he interrupts your routine and God reveals himself to you and God calls out to you and calls you to follow himself in relationship with him, how do you respond to a divine interruption? Because I think every divine interruption, every time God intervenes in our life, it is an invitation to experience him in a new way. When God interrupts our life, before you know him, when God interrupts your life, it is an invitation first and foremost to live in relationship with the God of all creation. And I believe that no matter who you are, no matter where you're at, that God is trying to reveal himself to you. That God, even now, his grace is at work in your life as God calls you to himself. The question is, how do we respond to that divine interruption that's ultimately a divine invitation to relationship with him? And, and here's, here's the, the, the significance of this. A divine interruption is an invitation first to new life, but also to this. It's an invitation to surrender our plan to God's purpose. And, and this, I think, is one of the, the, the crux moments of this whole thing. When God shows himself to you and calls you into relationship with himself, it's a question for you of, will you surrender your plan for your life to God's purpose for your life? Because when Jesus in the New Testament, as he's teaching and calling disciples to him, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And I think so often what we want to do is we want to invite Jesus into our life and say, okay, Jesus, now you do my agenda. That's not how it works. When Jesus calls his disciples, he says, I want you to leave behind everything and I want you to pour your life into me and I want you to follow me. And so there's this moment where Moses, he's doing what he's always done. He's tending his his father-in-law's flock. And and I wonder how that conversation goes when when God calls Moses and he says, I want you to now go to Egypt. Your whole life is going to change. I want you to go lead uh, the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and lead them to the promised land. So how does he go tell his father-in-law, hey, by the way, this will be my last day as chief shepherd or whatever. Like, I'm going to turn the flocks back over to you and I'm going to Egypt. I'm sure his father-in-law is thinking, like, well, why, would you, why would you go back to Egypt? That's a place of slavery. Why, why not just stay here and watch the flocks in the land of Midian? This is a good place. This is a safe place. It's comfortable. It's convenient. And yet the call of God on Moses' life is to submit his plan to God's purpose. And, and I think for a lot of us, if we're honest, we like to retain control of our life. We like to have a a one-month plan, a three-year plan, a five-year plan, right? We, li- we like to have a sense of control. And often what I've noticed is that when God intervenes and interrupts my life, part of what he's challenging me to is to surrender my plan to his purpose, to let go of control and to say, okay, God, I trust you. How do you respond to that invitation to surrender your plan to God's purpose? Are you, do you trust God enough to surrender control? Here's the second thing, though. I think a divine interruption is an invitation to new life. Yes, it's an invitation to surrender our plan to God's purpose, but it's also an invitation to transformation, right? To be transformed means to be made new. 
It means that you are no longer defined by who you used to be. You are no longer defined by the story of your past, but you can be made new. Paul says this in the New Testament. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. In Christ, you can be made new. And I think what happens sometimes is we read these stories and you see somebody like Moses and you go, well, this was just different for Moses, right? He's an Old Testament hero. He must be this great man of faith. Like Moses is just a different kind of person. But you guys, if you did the reading this week, hopefully you're following along in the the study guide. The, The reading this week was Exodus 1 through 3. If you read Exodus 3, you know Moses' story. You know that, I mean, the guy's a hot mess, Right? He, he grew up uh, in the Pharaoh's house. He was adopted by the daughter of the Pharaoh when his mother uh, left him in uh, the Nile River in some reeds because the Pharaoh had issued an order that any Israelite child that was a boy should be put to death. And so Moses' mother, she hides him for three months. When she can't hide him any longer, she puts him in a basket and, and lets him float in the Nile out of this desperate mother's hope that someone would find him. And lo and behold, Moses is discovered by the Pharaoh's daughter and raised by her And yet he's a Hebrew, he's an Israelite. And so there's this moment in Exodus chapter two, years later when Moses is is an adult man, when he's walking and he sees an Egyptian man beating a, a Hebrew man. And so Moses, wanting to intervene and wanting to see justice, he intervenes. And if you read Exodus two, it says, looking this way and that and seeing no one, Moses killed the Egyptian. He He commits murder. And he buries the Egyptian's body in the sand. Guys, this is not a man of some like deep, great faith. This is a dude who committed cold-blooded murder in a moment of rage when he saw a fellow Hebrew being uh, beaten. And he thinks he got away with it until a little while later, he sees two Israelites fighting and he goes, hey, 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 stop guys. And one of them goes, what? You're gonna kill us like you did the Egyptian? And he knows his gig is up. And rather than staying and facing the consequences, Moses flees to Midian. That's why he's working as a shepherd, because he murdered a dude and then fled. Right? So Moses is not this great paragon of faith. He's not some great man. He is a broken person who in a moment of rage committed murder, tried to cover it up, and then fled. And yet God calls this broken and flawed person and says, you don't have to be that guy anymore. I'm going to use you in a substantial way to bring redemptive hope to the nation of Israel. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're asking a question about like, who am I? Like if you knew my past, if you knew the things that I'd wrestled with, the things that I'd been through, the things that I'd done, you would know that God could not use somebody like me. But I look at the truth of scripture and I go, if God can use somebody like Moses, he can use you and I in our brokenness and our flaws. But God loves us so much that he doesn't let us stay in our brokenness and flaws. Right? If we will live life according to God's standard of truth and pour our life into him, submit our plan to God's purpose in Christ, we can be made new and redeemed and transformed. There's hope. And so that divine interruption is an invitation to submit to God, to experience the transformation that he brings. And it's also a call into a mission that is so much bigger than just ourselves. I think we live in a time and a culture that says, you do you. You live life your own way. What matters is that you're happy. And, and I promise you, if you live according to those cultural mandates to you do you and do what makes you happy, you will seek to use other people for your own gain and you will find yourself living a lonely and broken existence because we were never called to just live a comfortable, convenient life in which we use other people for our own success. We are called to live a life turned outward on itself, 
right? The reformer, Martin Luther, he said, a life of sin is a life that's curved in on itself. He said, a gospel life, a life that is lived in relationship with God, it begins to turn outward on itself in love. And what you see is that when we are called to relationship with God, he says, I want you to go and serve, right? The great commission in Matthew 28, go and make disciples. We are called into a mission that's so much bigger than us. And this is exactly what happens in Moses' life. He's called not to just live this comfortable, convenient life where he fled the consequences of his sin. He's not just to while away his time as a shepherd. God says, no, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to go back to a place of brokenness and I want you to bear witness to truth. And listen, church, what I'm saying is when you encounter the redemptive hope of Jesus Christ and the transformation that he brings, he doesn't say, no, go and be comfortable. He says, no, go back to lost friends, go back to lost relatives, go back to lost, broken, dark people and tell them about me. Bear witness to hope. And too many of us want to hole up in a holy huddle and only have non-Christian friends and only have non-Christian, a Christian environment. And yet God calls us back into broken places to go and make disciples and bear witness to hope and truth. You are called to something so much bigger than living life for your own convenience and comfort. So how do we respond to divine invitation? I, I think there's three ways that we often respond. I want to hit these quick. I think we often respond by being annoyed or we avoid or we just get angry. Right? So we have our plan, like you've got your five-year plan all laid out, and God interrupts that. Maybe it was a job that you hoped to get. Maybe it was uh, your plan for post-college. Maybe it was um, a house you wanted to buy. I, I don't know. You, you had this plan all worked out, and suddenly God closes the door. God interrupts your plan, and God redirects your path. And in those moments, what I, if you're anything like me, I've experienced this myself. Sometimes I get annoyed, and I go, God, what are you doing? I I had this figured out. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I had my guidelines and parameters that I know I wanted to do life. And now you've shut this door. What do I do now? And sometimes I just get annoyed. Uh, Other times God calls us to something. Uh, I've noticed in, in my life, God has this pattern of calling me to things that I feel really uncomfortable with. Right? The things that are beyond my comfort zone, things that I have to rely on him for. And often that's when I try to avoid it. And I think this is what Moses says. Let me just read you a couple passages. In Exodus 3, verse 11, right? God has just said, go, I'm sending you to Egypt. And verse 11, uh, Moses says this. He says, but Moses said to God, well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? I mean, I'm just a shepherd. You want me to go to the most powerful military force on the planet? You want me to ask to let your people go? Who am I? Right? Or, or look at verse 13. But Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, well, what is his name? What do I tell them? Right? Do you see Moses trying to avoid this obedient response? And then uh, Exodus 4 verse 1, Moses says, well, well, what if they don't believe or listen to me? And they say, the Lord did not appear to you. In other words, Moses says, God, if I live in obedience, people are going to think I'm crazy. And listen, God might call you to things that culture and society looks at and they go, why would you Christians do this? Why would you live this way? Because the way of the kingdom looks like craziness to a culture that's lost and chaotic. And, and I love it. Uh, finally, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 13. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. I appreciate his, uh, his politeness. Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. <laughs> I love that. And I love that partly because I resonate so much with that. I mean, I, th- I think I've told you this before, but in high school, uh, I would have told you I would do almost anything, but anything involving public speaking. Made me physically sick to my stomach. Uh, I grew up in the church. I've seen the good parts. I've seen the bad parts of it. There was a season where uh, when I felt God calling me into ministry, I might have said it the same way, please, Lord, send anyone else. 
And there's probably people who are a lot better at it than I would be. You, you don't want me to do this. And yet God was relentless and said, no, I'm not releasing you from this. I'm calling you to this. Will you submit your plan to my purpose? And Moses, he's, he's, he's avoidant. He wants to pull back from this. And yet I think what God calls us to is to be a people who are available. I, I think that's a right response to God's obedience when he says, I want you to live in relationship with me. I want you to align your life with my truth. It's to live available and open and receptive to God, what God would have us to live. So I want us to wrestle with this again. What's the deciding factor in how you'll live your life? I think for so many of us, what we want is to live life by our rules under our control where we feel safe because control feels like safety. And yet what God calls us to is to surrender our life fully and completely to him and say, God, send me where you will. Do with my life what you will. What is the deciding factor? What, what framework are you building your life around? Is it the one of American culture that says, do what's convenient and comfortable, what doesn't challenge you, you know, pursue the American dream? Is that, is that the, the guideline you're living to, your life around? One that would tell you to live your own truth? Listen, that, that's not a thing. Your own truth doesn't exist. What exists is the truth of God that is the standard by which all other things are measured. And we are called to live our life in obedience only to his truth. And, and I pray that that would be what we submit to. And here's, here's the beauty. The truth of Exodus is that the story of Exodus is this moment where God is calling his people out of oppression and into a bigger, more purpose-filled life lived in freedom and relationship with God. So let, let me read this for you quickly out of Exodus 19. In verse uh, four of Exodus 19, I'm gonna kind of skip through this. Sorry, media person, I'm way behind. So I'm trying not to go too long, I promise. Exodus 19. God speaking to Moses, he says, you yourselves, he's talking about the nation of Israel now, you yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Exodus 19 is this moment where the people of Israel have been set free from Egypt. They're now walking in freedom and relationship with God. Verse five, he says, and now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, holy obedience, right? Then he says, out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, and these are the words you're to speak to the Israelites. And notice what, what God tells Moses to call Israel to. He says, I want you to be obedient to my covenant promise. I want you to be obedient to, to my truth and to my laws. And if you walk in that obedience, he says, you will be a treasured possession to me. And you will be what? A nation of priests. Now, what does a priest do? A priest represents people to God and God to the people. Right? The priest stands in the middle of ordinary everyday life and says, God is doing something in our midst. And he calls the people's attention to the voice in the presence of God. And, and what God tells Israel is, listen, I'm leading you out of oppression in Egypt. I'm leading you to freedom. But I want you to walk in obedience and recognize that as a nation, you are to be my priests. You are to live in a dark and broken world and call attention to the truth and hope that only God can bring. And what I love about this is this exact language is actually used in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 9, it says this. And by the way, Peter, 1 Peter is written to the believers who are scattered throughout the Mediterranean world. So this is written to Christians. 1 Peter 2, 9 says this. 
but y'all are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possession, right? It's not just Israel anymore, but through Jesus, we have been adopted as co-heirs. We are part of this. You are a chosen people. You are a holy nation. We are a royal priesthood, right? We are called to stand in the middle of dark places and call attention to truth. And he says this, you are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Right? He has called us out of darkness into light. He has called us out of darkness into truth. And now we are to function as a people with redemptive purpose who go and bear witness to the presence of God in a broken world. We are called to live life on mission, submitted and surrendered to the truth of God. So here's the question that I want you to wrestle with, is can you give up control of your life? Can you respond to the grace of God and say, Father, my life belongs to you. I want to conform my pattern and way of living to your word, to your truth. I want to step into that gap between the gospel and the world and bear witness to the redemptive work of what you can do. I think for some of us, we let ourselves off the hook too easy. It's not that God just came to free us from sin. He came to do that. But when God frees us from the oppression and the darkness of sin, he calls us not just to go live a comfortable, quiet life. No, no, no. He calls us, as First Peter, as Exodus say, to go into dark places and to bear witness to truth as his chosen people. So that's the question. Do you trust him enough then to pour your life into that mission? Because here, here's the key takeaway for today is that a grown-up faith recognizes that we don't get to make the rules. I don't get to decide what to do with my life, but we need to submit to the one who does. That God has a pattern and a way that we are called to live. And this is a life in relationship with him on mission for the cause of the gospel. That's how God calls us and, and, and desires for us to live as his people in holy obedience, submitted to him and surrendered to his purpose for our lives. That's what grown-up, mature faith looks like. But the question is, do you trust him? Because what happens, and this is, this is what Pastor Steve talked about last week. When we believe that God is trustworthy and that we can trust him, we're willing to submit and surrender our life to him. I think what happens so often is when I say, I want to live life according to my rules, what I'm subtly telling God, or not so subtly, is I know better than you. When I want to make up my own rules for my life, what I do is I set myself up as my own false God who pretends that I know better than God's truth. But I don't get to make up my own rules for my life. God has already outlined a, a way for us to live in holy obedience in his word that is truth. And the question is, will we submit and surrender our life to relationship with him and to the pattern of his truth? And, and as God calls us, and when we think about what it is to be a people who live on mission, who go into dark and broken places and bear witness to his truth, it feels a little overwhelming, doesn't it? That we're not just called, like, I'll be honest, there's a large part of me that goes, I just want to live life in convenience and comfort. I don't want to be challenged too much. Like, that sounds stressful. And yet to do that is not to live in obedience, because Jesus didn't just say, come follow me. He says, no, 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 deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. In other words, he says, take up my agenda for your life, right? If we're going to be disciples, we have to be obedient to the call to also go and make other disciples. And what I want to do is say, well, Jesus, just teach me. I'm going to live a quiet, convenient, comfortable life. I don't get to do that. That's disobedient. Holy obedience means we live as a sent people called to go into dark places, and, and, and like you, I mean, I watch the news, I read the news. We live in a, in, a, in a chaotic culture right now, don't we? In a culture that feels pretty dark and pretty lost and pretty in need of hope. 
And what I want to do is read the paper and go, man, that's tough. I'm going to be praying for people. And what God says is, I want you to go to dark places. I want you to build relationships with deeply broken and wounded people. And I want you to bear witness to my truth. I don't get to just live a comfortable, convenient life. And yet that sounds overwhelming. And so I think we have to hold to the promises of God. I'm going to hit these quick. Because I've already showed you, I mean, Moses is reluctant, right? He's like, I want to avoid God. Please send somebody else. But notice what God says to him. Verse 13, God says, and I will be with you. Right? God doesn't call us to submit and surrender our life to him and then say, good luck. No, this is primarily a call to to relational connection with the God of all the universe. And he says, Moses, I'm sending you. Go, I'm sending you to Egypt and I will go with you. And notice what he says in, in Exodus 4 verse 12. Again, he says, now go. Notice that sending language again. Moses, go. Now go. I will help you and will teach you what to say. Not only does God promise to go with Moses, he says, Moses, I will, I will teach you. I will help you. Right? And again, in, in verse uh, 15, he says the same thing. I will help you speak and will teach you what to do. And so we have a God who promises that he will uh, be with us, that he will teach us, that he will help us. Because the truth is that God is trustworthy. God is aware of the suffering of his people in Egypt. And he tells Moses, listen, go, I'm sending you. I'll be with you. I will help you. I will teach you. So church, how will we respond? Will we continue to be a people who say, you know what, I want to live my life, my rules. Or will we be a people who say, God, I want to submit and surrender my life to you. I want to take up your mission to go into a lost and dying world and bear witness to your hope and your truth. So this week, I want you to think and reflect on a couple things. Uh, Focus around the mind, will, and the heart. So when we think about our mind, I think it's really important that we familiarize ourselves with God's pattern for our lives. What does he call us to? So I want to encourage you this week to read Exodus 20. That should say verse 1 to 17. That was a typo on my part. That's the Ten Commandments. I want you to read through the Ten Commandments. Because in Exodus 19 that I read for you, where God calls his people to obedience, that next teaching that God gives is the Ten Commandments. And they are still a relevant pattern for how we're to do life today. And then secondly, I want you to read Matthew 5, 3 to 7, 29. This is the Sermon on the Mount, right? And this is Jesus teaching and expounding on the Jewish law and calling us to a life lived in obedience according to God's pattern. So I I encourage you this week to do that, to read those two sections and think about what does this say about how I should live life, about how I should day in and day out approach submitting my life to God. I want you to think and reflect on your will. What do you desire? And are there places in your life where you still need to surrender your will to God's purpose? Places where you've said, God, this is off limits. I want to hold this to myself. I want to live independently of you. And God's saying, you need to surrender your will to me. And so I want you to think and reflect this week. Where's the place that God is saying, I want you to surrender? And and finally, I want us to think about this. What does your practice for cultivating a relational connection with God look like? Because first and foremost, what God is calling us to is a relational connection with himself. To be his people. And so what rhythm, what pattern do you have in your life to draw near to God through the word and through prayer? What does that look like for you? Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. And I thank you for the example of someone like Moses. Someone who was broken and wounded and he had a whole host of reasons why it should have been somebody else that you called. And yet you chose to use Moses as imperfect as he was to accomplish your plan and your purpose in his life. 
And God, for a lot of us, we, we find a sense of false comfort in this idea that we can make our own rules for our life, that we can do what we want, that we can live how we want. God, I pray this morning that we would see the error of that, that we don't get to choose what's true, that we don't get to choose uh, our own rules for our life. But God, you have a, a standard of truth revealed in your word for how we should live. And so I pray, Father, that we would be a people who, in your grace, find the courage to surrender our plan, Lord, to your purpose. May we be a people who walk in holy obedience with you, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.